the most common spot is this uh, the spot in that suboccipital area. So top part of the neck, just below you get to the, just before you get to the base of the skull. If you push right there um, and it's a little bit sensitive, that means that you're carrying a level of tension there that can be worked Ooh, I out. Gotta go. I've been working, told them, please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bro, just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog, swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day, now my fan, they can't eat. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As nurses, we know your mental health matters. It's important to prioritize yourself. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. Just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences, then BetterHelp will match you with the right therapist. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash cup of nurses. As a nursing student or nurse, you know how important it is to have the right resources to help you succeed. That's why we invite you to check out our nursing resource page, where you can find freebies like our cheat sheets, travel checklists, favorite Amazon products, and more. In addition, you can purchase our merch and NCLEX guide. Don't miss out on these valuable tools to help you excel in your nursing career. Visit cupofnurses.com today. Hey, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses show here with your hosts, Peter and Matt, two nurses on a mission to change this world, one conversation at a time. Thank you for tuning in. If you find value in this show, please share and review the show. It would mean absolutely everything to us. Cupofnurses.com for the latest updates, merch releases, and any info such as show notes and promos. For our lifestyle podcast, you can check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. In this episode, we would like to introduce you to Dr. Jono Taves. Dr. Jono is the owner of Novera Headache Center and the host of the Headache Doctor podcast. He specializes in relieving headaches and migraines for patients who don't get enough of what they need from traditional treatments. He believes everyone deserves a life free from intrusive pain and unwanted medication so that they can excel in everything they do. We discuss different types of headaches, why you're getting them, and how to relieve the pain. Jonah, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time. Can you give us a little background about yourself and how you got involved in headaches, migraine, and, and those kind of health-related issues? Yeah, so I'm a physical therapist. It's not too common for physical therapists to be in this headache or, or migraine space. And so uh, how I got here is um, in college, I was, I was a soccer player. I was just excited about the uh, idea of exercise. And so I majored in exercise science and then thought about a career path and physical therapy just seemed attractive. Uh, physical therapists seemed to like their jobs and they got to work with people and restoring function and movement and understanding the body. So I went through physical therapy school up in uh, Minnesota and I got exposed my second year to just a short weekend course on manual therapy. So hands-on techniques for the neck and the jaw. Now this piqued my interest, uh, one, because of the instructor and he just seemed to have the, like a, like a firm grasp and a lot of confidence in this area of restoring jaw and neck function. 
as it relates to headaches or jaw pain, things like that. And so I went and shadowed him and he had people from around the state that were coming to see him and, and his outcomes were great. And uh, this was an area of physical therapy that got me really excited because I just, I just wasn't too excited about the post-op ortho where you're rehabbing someone's knee or maybe like inpatient rehab where you're trying to get someone walking down the hall. Like there's a lot, like those things are important. They just didn't really get me excited. And this, this just seemed like, wow, you can have a really big impact on people's lives and not many therapists were doing it. And, um, so I was fortunate to work for a, a clinic right out of school that was heavy on manual therapy. So we worked with our hands and, and, uh, you know, private treatment rooms, one-on-one sessions. And so you, you had to, uh, most of the time patients were laying down and you were just um, working through any restrictions in the joints and the tissues and uh, restoring function with your hands, which uh, is probably not as common of, a, of an experience within physical therapy. Uh, that sort of treatment lends to the spine, like uh, therapists that work with their hands typically are fairly comfortable working on the spine. So low back pain, mid back, neck pain. And so what would happen is patients would come in with headaches. And because of this connection between the upper part of the neck and head and facial pain, um, and knowing how to restore function to the neck, these patients would get better. And so, uh, for a while, for months, it was, it was headache patients. And every now and then I'd have someone with the migraine diagnosis. And when they came across my schedule, I thought initially, you know, this is, uh, this is something that a neurologist needs to take care of. Uh, there's medications for this. This is a neurological problem. But what what they told me is that they've tried, you know, X number of neurologists. They've tried the meds. They've had these migraines for, you know, ten plus years, and uh, and they have this they have this neck pain as well. And so I would evaluate and treat their neck, and sure enough, um, not only did their neck pain improve, but their their migraine symptoms uh, dramatically improved more than they had seen previously ever with any sort of treatment. And so that got me excited because it kept happening over and over again. I just kept seeing these patients and they would improve. And before I opened my practice, I mean, I remember a gentleman coming to talk to me, kind of wanting to help me market my practice. He said, what are your outcomes? Like how, like, you know, a patient comes in, what are the chances that you're going to get them better? And at that time I was like, well, hundred percent, like everyone I've seen has improved. And so, um, but I, as we've, as we've grown and we've seen over 600 patients were probably in the 80, 85% uh, as far as progress. And I can define what that looks like a little bit better, but it's just kind of exciting as, uh, so to, to summarize that physical therapists are focused on restoring function to the body. Um, there's a sort of overlooked injury to the neck that, uh, causes these people to lose function in the upper part of their neck. And then knowing these hands-on techniques to restore that function allows me to, to really help them in a way that they haven't been helped before. So what is the difference between the head and the neck before we dive into what are the causes that are causing this dysfunction in the neck? Yeah. So <clears throat> your question is, uh, what, what's the connection between head pain and the neck? Am I understanding that? Yes. And before that, just simplifying the difference between the headache and a migraine. When does a headache turn gotcha. into a migraine? Yeah. Yeah. It's an important question. So the way I answer that is if we think about, if you're going to walk into a medical doctor's office uh, and our healthcare system has to work off of um, a list of diagnoses and uh, there's an international classification of headache disorders. So around the globe, uh, providers go to this um to, to this document in order to understand symptoms. Now it's important to, as a, as a general 
um, lens, as we're looking at this document, most of these diagnoses are a reflection of your symptoms. So if we think of like, take an example of you fracture some bone in your body and they can take an x-ray if needed and look at the fracture and know exactly what's happening there. So when it comes to this presentation of pain in your head or your face, we can do x-rays, we can do MRIs, we can do CTs, but those aren't really showing us anything. We're really just screening for the things that might be more life-threatening. Now, most people do not have something that's life-threatening. So you go through those images uh, and they find nothing. And so your diagnosis is really based off your symptoms. So you tell the doctor that you have a one-sided throbbing, pounding sensation. You have sensitivities to lights and sounds and you have nausea, maybe have a visual disturbance or some sort of aura prior to the onset of the pain. Now, those that series of symptoms is going to land you in that diagnosis of migraine. And there's all different types of migraines, um, but that's the most classic presentation. Okay. So in, in the Western medicine model, that is um, how you would land on that diagnosis. Now, outside of that, if you have like a strap-like sensation in your forehead, a strap-like presentation of pain, that would be more of a tension type headache. That's on both sides. Uh, in my world, a lesser known diagnosis is called a cervicogenic headache. And that's a headache that stems from the neck, typically neck pain, loss of range of motion. And that one-sided ram's horn presentation is present. Um, and then you've got cluster headaches, which can be pain behind the eye, sharp, very intense type pain. Um, you've got these different presentations of pain, but they're all sort of subjective. So you tell the doctor, this is what I'm feeling. The doctor says, this is your diagnosis. So in our world, what what we've come to is basically if you have any type of heterofacial pain and you haven't found relief um, and you're not getting answers as, as far as like what is actually happening here, uh, we want to see you. And uh, that that will be that'll make a little bit more sense when I talk about this connection between the head and the neck. But it, is that is that clear enough uh, as far as distinguishing the different types? Exactly. That's more than enough because we as nurses, when we hear headache, we just think 650 milligrams of Tylenol for nurse or for patients, and we just give that, and that's all we kind of you know we don't dive any deeper mm -hmm. to what kind of headaches they are. Maybe they they're dehydrated or anything. So that's a perfect explanation. Thank you. Yeah. And and how does that tie into the functionality of the neck? So how is the upper part of the neck related to all this? Yeah, so it's important to understand the anatomy. If if we look at the anatomy and understand the connections, both in the musculoskeletal world, but then also through our neuroanatomy, uh, and then we we couple that with pain and how our body, um, how pain manifests and how pain is subjective and how our experience with pain um, how, how we understand that. So first let's start with the anatomy. So the upper part of our neck is very mobile. Uh, it's holding up this 10 to 12 pound head. So think of a bowling ball weight. When you rotate your head left or right, uh, the first two bones in our neck are shaped. The first one shaped like a donut. The second one has this thumb-like structure. So that donut shape is, is sort of rotating around that thumb-like structure. And so every time you rotate, you should have about 50% of your rotation or about 45 degrees of rotation through that one joint. Um, the head sitting on the first bone, when you nod, you should have about 10 degrees of this forward nodding, and then a little bit of wiggle in that joint when you side bend left and right. So it's those movements that we want to um, evaluate and then treat. Now, it, this this uh, I'll go on a little bit of a tangent and then I'll come back. But X-ray, CTs, MRIs are still images, so they're not going to show the movement. That's the piece that's missing, and that's why 
you can have an x-ray to screen for your neck and it might be, Hey, your neck is fine. And that's where kind of our medical system will stop, which is part of the problem. We need to know how the upper neck is moving and specifically these joints. Now you might think, well, I can turn my head and I can look up and down fine. Um, but the, the body compensates and it compensates really well. So we don't know from general range of motion, really how well the upper part of the neck is moving. <clears throat> so there's restrictions here. Let's assume there's restrictions in the upper part of the neck. Those joints aren't doing their job. So what happens is there's tension that develops. So maybe it changes your posture. Maybe there's just more work that is involved with turning your head, looking up and down. And so there's irritation throughout those tissues, whether it's the ligaments, the muscles, the tendons, uh, the nerves that pass through that area. So all those different tissues are sort of, they're irritated. There's some inflammation and then with inflammation comes pain. All right. So your body's able to handle a certain level of pain and kind of shut it off, ignore it. Uh, cause, cause pain, now we're going to talk about the pain side of it. Pain is subjective. So, um, pain, so an injury, a type of tissue injury to the body will elicit a certain response. Um, that response can be different from patient to patient based on, um, you know, other systems in the body that are sort of regulating the inflammatory response. So if someone has um, systemic levels of higher inflammation and their inflammation response um, acutely becomes more chronic, that can change the actual pain that they experience. But the other thing that changes it is our perception of pain. So if your perception is that this was something very harmful and you're more attentive to it, that's, that's going to uh, elevate or amplify that experience. Uh, but we can also shut it off. Um, so most of these patients sort of constantly have some irritation in their neck. Now, the way that it travels and, and uh, actually is perceived as coming from the head and the face is, uh, so the upper part of the neck, anywhere from C0 to C3, so all the way down to the third bone in your neck, there are nerves, nociceptive nerves. So these are pain, these are nerves that collect pain signals. So they're collecting a pain signal. Now they travel through the brainstem. Now in the brainstem, it meets up with other sensory nerves. Uh, in the brainstem, there's this nucleus called the trigeminal cervical nucleus. And this is where all of these different nerves from the head and the face uh, meet up. The trigeminal nerve is the primary one. So think of the trigeminal nerve. We have these three branches, picks up sensation from our face. So it meets up in this trigeminal cervical nucleus, same with the occipital nerves in the back of the head and the upper part of the neck. So these three areas meet up in the brainstem. And then once the pain actually, that signal actually reaches the cortex is when we realize what's happening. And so the brain gets the information, the location of the information wrong. That's called referred pain. It's like if you're having a heart attack and you have shoulder pain, nothing wrong with your shoulder. The brain is perceiving something is happening in your shoulder. So same thing here. Your brain is perceiving something as being picked up from maybe the trigeminal nerve um, when, when in reality it's your neck. The other thing it does is it has, uh, I mean, it travels through the thalamus. It travels through, uh, there's other connections to other inputs, sensory inputs. And so that's why when the pain level is high enough and the alarm system is ramped up, we see this sort of hypersensitivity that impacts other sensory inputs. So let's think of like light and sound sensitivities, strong sense sensitivities, visual disturbance. So there's nothing wrong with your eye. There's nothing wrong with your visual system. You can go to an ophthalmologist, optometrist and check that. It's just your sensory input um, at that time, your brain is hypersensitive to it. And so it's not able to tolerate much when it has that intense pain signal that could likely be coming from your neck. Mm. So is the, is the issue with like the cervical column rubbing against your nerves or what's the actual causing that 
that those pain signals? Yeah. So it's, um, the nerves themselves can be irritated just because, uh, with tension developed in the area, like these muscles, uh, are, are going to be taking up more space. And if there's a le level of inflammation that takes up space. And so the nerves themselves, um, can be irritated. And, uh, so that's where like maybe an occipital neuralgia type pain can come from. Um, now, but, but even the muscles and the joints and the ligaments, like those tissues being sensitive, it's still going to send pain through the same pathway. So it's really, um, any, any of those tissues can refer pain into the head and, uh, the different tissues being effective does change the presentation of pain a little bit. And that's why like clinically we can take someone that has more of a, you know, suboccipital pain as opposed to ramsworm presentation or pain behind the eye. And we can sort of, um, dial in our treatment based on that. Um, am I answering a question there? Yeah. Yeah. For most part you are. So then what's like the culprit that causes it? Is it like a poor posture? Is it the way we sleep? Because for example, if you look at a 12 hour shift for a nurse, majority of the time you're either running around, tending to patients, providing some kind of a care or you're sitting down, down charting. So is, right. is like right. the poor posture have to do with that? And also is it like a poor sleeping style. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of things that, uh, contribute to neck tension. Uh, you hit on a few of the big ones. If I was going to, if someone comes to me, so our sort of typical patient is maybe in their late thirties, early forties, and they've had headaches or migraines for, uh, 10 plus years. And they may have started, uh, when they were in adolescence or when they were a kid, maybe middle school, high school. And during that time, um, now likely the onset of symptoms is not like the start of the injury. Usually the, that's this type of restriction happens earlier. So say as a kid, like our heads are disproportionately larger than our bodies and our necks aren't necessarily that stable. So there's a lot of things that can happen as a child that can lead to this type of, of injury or tension that builds up in the neck. Um, think of like, you know, some of the more obvious ones are car accidents. Like for some reason here in Colorado, people fall off horses a lot. Um, you know, just random stuff like that, like head or neck trauma. Okay. So a lot of people have those types of things and, uh, and then their, their body's able to, to, you know, recover more acutely and then they move on, but that the healing process in their neck didn't necessarily lend to their, their motion or their function, their neck restoring. And so they, they sort of, after that injury, they have a level of tension that they're just sort of managing. And then with time, they're more sensitive to poor posture, sleeping on their stomach, um, things like that, that then just sort of increase the level of tension in their neck. Um, but a lot of it, even without like a known trauma to the head or the neck, it, it can still happen. Uh, and I could talk a lot about this. There's a lot of different nuances of it. Um, certain people are more predisposed to it. Say like your mom or dad had it Well, you're inheriting their genes as far as how your how your, you know, skeletal structure is set up and you're prone to the same types of postures and same sorts of like weaknesses, uh, musculoskeletal that they had. And so that's, that's sort of my connection genetically, but, um, really there's dozens of things that impact the amount of tension through our neck throughout the day. Um, and it's like holding up that bowling ball and, and like how, how much are you asking your neck to do? If you're holding that bowling ball out in front of you, you're, you're adding stress, or if you're sleeping on your stomach and your neck hasn't, doesn't really rotate too well. And you're having to turn your head to to breathe at night, that's definitely something we want to change. Um, so when we work with people, 
we want to, we want to educate them. So like time is on their side, like they're, they're aware of their neck and they're doing things that are therapeutic for their neck. Um, so that, you know, we're not just in this cycle of pain ramping up and you get another headache or migraine. What's up listeners. Did you have a long shift at work or a hard workout feeling dehydrated? No worries. We've got you covered with liquid IV. Liquid IV is a perfect solution for those wanting to stay hydrated without consuming all the extra sugar and artificial ingredients in sport drinks. It's a hydration multiplier that provides two to three times more hydration than water alone. And guess what? As our listener, you can use the code CONPOD, C-O-N-P-O-D, to receive 15% off your order and free shipping. Are you looking for a fitness tracker to help you reach your fitness goals? Look no further. Whoop 4.0 is the ultimate fitness tracker, helping you optimize your workouts and recover faster. With personalized insights and metrics, you can track your progress and make sure you're getting the most out of your training. Simply sign up using our link and you'll receive a free Whoop 4.0 and a month on us. So why wait? Team up with a community of nurses and take your fitness journey to the next level. What is the link between muscles as far as tension, knots? I know a lot of people say that I have knots in my neck, my shoulders, maybe I have some numbness and tingling that radiates from sleeping on one side or laying down. Is there a connection between muscle tensions that's contributing to the headaches and migraines? Yeah. So, um, the, as far as like, again, going back to the anatomy, um, the shoulders are sort of anchoring on the neck and, um, healthy, healthy shoulders are going to be stable without translating much tension to the neck themselves. And so a lot of people will have shoulder issues and, uh, the, the shoulder then is sort of unstable, whether it's in a resting position, but for sure, when you're doing some sort of exercise, um, strength training, you know, shoulder lifts, overhead lifts, stuff like that, where you're demanding the shoulder do more. Um, and so like tension through the shoulder can translate up into the neck and then that impact the neck and, and then you get that referral pattern. Um, yeah. And then when we think of like trigger points, like we've worked with people that have muscle tension through their scalenes, which are these little muscles on the side of your neck. Um, and then through the, the levator scapula, which runs from the scapula to the neck or the upper trap. And even those trigger points can, can send pain into the head. Um, and then of course, like the most, the most common spot is this, uh, the spot in that suboccipital area. So top part of the neck, just below you get to the, just before you get to the base of the skull, if you push right there, um, and it's a little bit sensitive, that means that you're carrying a level of tension there that can be worked out. So pushing on muscle tissue should not be painful. It should not be sensitive. Um, and, uh, if it is, that means you're, you're asking that muscle to do too much throughout the day. And we probably, uh, should look at that to some extent. And Dr. John, what's like a good way to sleep? Is it on your back that's preferred on, on your sides or, or, or if you do have like a strained neck or you do feel like you're overusing your neck, what's like, what's like a good position to rest your neck and is it just like laying down for a little bit. How can you kind of, um, either strengthen that, that, that neck, or how can you ease the load off of it? Yeah. So as far as sleeping, I recommend either side sleeping or back sleeping, um, side sleepers, you have to be a little bit more high maintenance because the pillow that you use under your head needs to be thicker. I recommend foam or like gel, something that's going to hold its shape. 
and then for side sleepers as well, I want you to either have a body pillow or two additional pillows. So one that you're hugging, one in between your knees. And uh, that way you're not tempted to roll into your stomach at all. Because a lot of people say they're side sleepers, but they're really kind of twisted um, and they're halfway on their stomach. And I want to avoid that. And then back sleeping is fine. Back sleeping is uh, less high maintenance. So you, you can have just a standard pillow, a relatively flat pillow is okay. Um, but the thing is most people are tossing and turning. And so what I, what I usually do is tell people to just fall asleep on their side, try to stay on your side, use those pillows for support. Um, and then a lot of what we're trying to do. So I have a, on social media, um, I put videos on TikTok just cause it's a platform that's easy to do that. And, and, uh, just, uh, this morning, someone commented and said, you know, just you telling me that my neck could be part of the problem. I've paid attention to my posture and the positions my neck is in, and it's helped a ton. And so, um, one is if you're sedentary, paying attention to how you're sitting, how you're standing, you want to be symmetrical. You want to have your weight through both feet. You want to sit with your weight through both hips, not leaning onto one side or the other. Um, but ultimately we want people to move. Um, so there's sort of this, you know, intuitively we think, well, if, if my neck needs a break, I need to lay down. Um, and definitely if, if you are in the midst of a migraine and, uh, you have that pounding throbbing sensation and you just can't do anything, but lay down. Yeah. Lay down. But if you're able and you have the energy, I would say go on a walk or just move your body wants to move. And so typically we get in trouble when, when we are sedentary and the movement is good. Now there's another side of that where like the same movements over and over again can be a problem. So we need like that variation in movement. Um, but for most people, sort of our, our general structure, if we're working with someone in person or remotely, is we want you to get into an exercise routine, uh, an exercise routine that you can tolerate that's not triggering a headache. Uh, and then throughout the day, we want you moving as much as possible. And then if you do have to sit, pay attention to your sitting position. Um, and then maybe a few like specific things for your neck or restoring posture, that sort of thing. Is there any connections between the emotional cycle side of things, psycho-emotional where there's stress in the shoulders where people carry maybe overburden of thinking too much and stress where it manifests in the shoulders and neck that eventually affects the migraines? Or for example, someone like me, when I get irritated or frustrated, sometimes I clench my jaw. I notice all the energy stagnating in my jawbone, which then could, you know, I could feel a little bit sore if it's a long-term stress. Did you uh, look into your research or have any patients with emotional psycho-influences on the migraines and neck pain? Yeah. So when it comes to those situations, I mean, stress um, hormonally does impact like the, the musculoskeletal system. And we do see an increase in shoulder tension. And so like it physically manifests itself. Um, which can impact someone's situation, but I think it also makes it so the environment that we receive the pain in, uh, that's where we're talking about thresholds. So there's this threshold theory of, of migraine where, um, you're managing your threshold, uh, and that can look like avoiding triggers and things like that, but someone's threshold and in our lens and how we look at it. So things like hormones, um, this is going to be more speaking to, um, the women that are, are dealing with hormonally re related migraines and once a month during their cycle, they're, they're having, um, a migraine attack and that has to do with estrogen levels. And so, um, same can be true for stress. I mean, you have a shift in, in hormone levels that are impacting your body's ability to, 
um, manage and regulate the, this pain that you're experiencing. And so, um, part of, part of treatments, and I just had an interview a couple of weeks ago with a, a doctor out on the East coast, and he's doing a bunch of research into the vagus nerve and accessing the vagus nerve, simulating the vagus nerve so that it ramps up our parasympathetic nervous system. Cause the vagus nerve is kind of a way to access, um, that, uh, our autonomic nervous system and put us in more of a rest and digest, um, and get us out of this like high stress, uh, adrenaline, um, type of mode that a lot of us are in, like we're just going, going, going. Uh, and so accessing that parasympathetic system and, uh, and ramping that up so that we can downregulate a lot of these hormones that we're seeing that are ramped up, uh, that can be helpful. Um, definitely. And so we, we want to, um, one, if we can't get someone out of a stressful situation, we just, let's use different techniques like breathing techniques. Let's, um, physically, uh, improve, you know, your posture, go on a walk or, you know, change your mindset of the situation. Cause stress can be a big trigger for a lot of people. Um, and then uh, the other aspect of that is if there's any way to sort of naturally, uh, help regulate hormones, we, we want to figure that out as well. Uh, but the pain itself in most situations is still going to be, um, physically manifested. It's just the environment that the brain is experiencing that pain in, um, might, might not cater to it being as resilient. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then looking things from a functionality standpoint, maybe there's a nurse listening right now that has a stiff neck that's re relating to headaches and migraines. What are some action steps that they could take today as far as functionality, maybe stretch stretches, things other than sleep and exercise that could contribute to relieving their migraines? Yeah. So my wife, my wife is a nurse and, uh, she has <laughs> working in the hospital, you know, she spends a lot of time sitting at a computer charting. Uh, and I think that's, that's one thing. So sitting at a computer, and this is really anyone in the healthcare setting, working in a hospital system, um, maybe you spend 20, 30 minutes, uh, or more, I, I guess, uh, I, I don't, how long are you spending sitting at a computer? I guess it probably just depends on how, on how like the, the, the day is. Sometimes it could be like three hours, four hours, depending on how, how the workload is. Maybe 50% yeah. of the shift. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So three to four hours, if, if I'm sitting for 20 minutes, I can feel the tension increase in my neck. I, I'm kind of hyper aware of it because of what I do. So the first step is just being aware of like, what is your neck feeling right now? Um, but second, like I would imagine at these, at the hospitals, you don't have the option of like a standing desk. I mean, maybe in the rooms, they, they have the standing option. Um, but my perception is most of the time you're charting in like, you know, a, a, like a computer area where you're sitting. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 So I would, um, I would just pay attention to one, the screen height, if you can adjust the screen, bring the screen up to eye level or just below. Um, and then sit upright, have both feet on the floor. And uh, as you're charting, pay attention to the amount of like tension that you're feeling in your shoulders or your neck. And if you feel that ramp up, just get up and, and, and do a little walk, you know, or check on a patient or something like break it up. Um, because it's, it's those periods of time where you're just sitting without the break that are going to be an issue. Um, and then, so let's say that you just can't avoid it and, and tension is building up throughout your day. What I would do is, is either, yeah, implement some sort of exercise. So just general exercise is going to be great, but also some, some sort of stretch, like postural stretch, like a doorway stretch for your pecs 
or lay in a foam roller with your arms out to the side when you get home in the evening. Like do something to kind of open yourself up um, because that forward posture is probably partially but is contributing to the tension in your neck. And I'm kind of thinking now, sometimes you associate pain with damage. The mm-hmm. does long-term, is there any long-term effects or causes? For example, if someone has suffers from migraines for years and years and years, can that potentially cause some kind of a brain damage or like further like serious nerve damage? Well, yeah, it's a good question. Um, the, there's something called central sensitization where if the brain is receiving a pain signal over and over again, it becomes hypersensitive to it. Think of you doing bicep curls and you know, there's, there's changes that adapt to that amount of stress. Like our, our body has this plasticity to it and our nervous system has this plasticity, meaning it's always changing and adapting to whatever signals we're giving it. It's just like someone learns how to play violin and postmortem, we look at their brain and that part of their brain is like really developed, right? Cause they, they taught themselves how to do that skill. Well, if we we're constantly, if our brain's constantly getting this pain signal, those neural pathways are actually going to become more robust. And so, um, most people we work with, that's not really an issue just because they have, um, breaks in the pain. Like they might have a migraine every week, but then they have days where they feel fine. And so the brain kind of gets a break from that pain signal. But if there's someone that has daily symptoms, the longer that goes on, the harder it is to get the brain to kind of calm down and shut that off. And so we get into this, like, it's not the brain necessarily being damaged, but the brain just become hypersensitive to that signal. So it, it just, the, the threshold for it receiving and acknowledging that pain signal is just really low because it's hypersensitive to it, but there's no real, so like physically there, I wouldn't say there's necessarily long-term damage that occurs. The, the one thing that we do see is, uh, this is primarily in males, but, um, when, when guys are hitting their mid fifties and sixties, they're getting, uh, the, the ridiculous symptoms down their arm. So numbness, tingling, pain down their arm. And they go to their surgeon and their surgeon says, well, you've got wear and tear through C4, 5, 5, 6. So the mid and lower portion of the neck. Well, likely what's happening there is when the upper part of the neck isn't doing its job, all that stress translates to the mid and lower segments. And so the, the wear and tear, the stenosis, degenerative disc disease in the mid portion of the neck um, could be resolved with us working on the upper part of the neck. And likely we want to, you know, we want to catch that ahead of time, but if someone doesn't need like immediate surgery or surgical intervention, oftentimes our approach can be really successful just because we're taking stress off the mid portion of the neck by allowing the neck to, to move the way it should. Uh, but there's nothing like life threatening. Um, it's just the symptoms are so debilitating that you know, people, they want to get it figured out as soon as possible. And Dr. John, does the location of the headache, does that give you any kind of any idea of where that pain is coming from? Like if it's like in a temporal area, it's maybe like a, like a C2 issue or does location give you any kind of a clue where it's stemming from? Yeah. So the, so like I said, pain is subjective, but there are patterns. So we can't necessarily trust that the location. So if you have eye pain, it doesn't mean your eye has a problem. If you have temple pain, it doesn't mean your temple has a problem. Like it could, uh, but, but in this scenario, most time it doesn't, but there are patterns. So like if you have temple pain, um, there's a good chance that either your jaw is involved because there's this jaw muscle called the temporalis. Um, so if you wake up with temple pain, likely you're clenching or grinding, or there's something going on in your jaw that's causing your temporalis to be irritated. If you have this 
ram's horn presentation. So the pain starts in the back of your head, uh, top part of your neck, and it wraps up and around. Um, that's very likely going to be, and it's one-sided, that's going to be a, a, a joint. So either C1 and C2 or the head sitting on the first bone, those joints are probably very irritated. So when we go in and, and look at those joints, meaning I, I physically start putting some pressure through there, we might be able to reproduce that. And so we want to focus on the joint itself. If you have that strap-like presentation and the pain's on both sides, uh, and it's just sort of a low grade pain, or maybe it ramps up, but it's there like most of the day, or maybe it onsets in the afternoon, evening, that's just going to be likely general tension. So these people gener are, are going to need, you know, some postural correction. They're going to need to take stress off the muscles in their necks and their shoulders. Um, just in general, like it's not, it's not a, a specific spot. There's just a lot of things that are irritated. So those are kind of the three big ones. It gets more nuanced than that, but, um, I would say, most people fall into one of those three categories. And then as far as the jaw pain, is it secondary to the neck pain that causes jaw pain or is it completely uh, separate as far as the presentation and why we're getting the jaw pain? Like for example, TMJ that's relating and causing the headaches. Yeah, good question. Um, so the neck, having these restrictions on the neck is going to impact the jaw. It's kind of a chicken or egg situation. I mean, I've talked to dentists about this who are, correcting someone's bite and seeing, um, significant improvements in their headache situation. So you can approach it from like a both. And like, if you wanted to, um, go to a dentist that specializes and correct your bite and, uh, go down that road, I, I think, yeah, I definitely think it could be helpful, but what we're also seeing is that, so let's say the restrictions in your neck are changing the resting position of your head. A lot of people we work with have a little bit of a sight, right head tilt. And so when they have that right head tilt, their jaw is a single bone with two joints. It's kind of floating for lack of a better term. So when you open and close, um, there's sort of a shift. So your head is tilted to the right. Your jaw is wanting to be in midline. Um, and so it's being pulled to the right, if you can picture that. So head's tipped to the right, your jaw opens and closes. It's sort of being pulled to the right because it's, it's responding to that tension. So over time, the popping, clicking, or pain in the jaw is typically because one side of the jaw is functioning efficiently and the other side is sort of, there's a catch, it's hung up for some reason. So you can open to extent an extent, but as you open wider, you'll you'll get that pop. And that pop is sort of a correction of the jaw, like, you know, it's it's recentering itself. And so when, when we have someone that comes in with jaw symptoms, we always want to work on their neck as well as their jaw, because um, both are going to benefit their situation. Is there any benefits of getting like your neck cracked or do you maybe uh, crack your patient's neck when they come um, come to your clinic? Is there any kind of benefit or any kind of research backing the, the benefit of that with maybe taking off some tension uh, on your neck or any kind of headache relief? Yeah, so it's not, it's not a major component of what we do. So a lot of our techniques are applying pressure uh, in, so in the physical therapy world, those techniques would be considered grade five. Um, high velocity, low amplitude. So it's quick and you get a cavitation or that pop, um, grade three, four is you take the tissue past what it's comfortable with and you push it and you do that over and over again until it restores function. So there are benefits to getting that grade five. So the, the popping cracking, um, we don't, uh, I, I'll use it every now and then it's so our, our practice doesn't function like a chiropractic office. Um, now as far as like understanding the cavitation or the cracking, um, 
it's hard to tell if, uh, so if someone comes in with a, a fracture, like say they were just in a car accident and they come in and, and, you know, they need to be able to turn their head left and right. And they like, you need to screen them, uh, for any sort of fracture and send them off for imaging. But most people, those techniques are going to be, uh, okay. The, the, the area that I stay away from is sort of the, the chronic cracking, like, I've had patients, and this is more anecdotal, but I've had patients that have seen chiropractors for, you know, decades and their neck just kind of feels like, man, this is, this is just like, everything just feels really kind of tight. Um, so I'm not, I'm not anti the chiropractic approach. Uh, I think chiropractics can do a lot of good as far as helping people like, uh, address the neck just because physical therapists typically aren't doing anything in this area. Um, there are studies. I mean, there's a big study. I think it came out of Canada where they they looked at um, all of these uh, all of these patients that had a vertebral artery dissection, which is uh, typically, you know, when we say you stroke out after uh, getting your your neck cracked. And so what happened is, you know, there's fifty percent of people that I go see a chiropractor after they get a car accident, fifty percent they go to your primary care doc. And uh, vertebral artery dissections, so what happens is there's a little, uh, part of the artery that's sort of disrupting the flow of, of, uh, of the, uh, blood. And so that disruption causes, uh, this, this sort of plaque and stroke to be thrown at some point, but it takes a couple of days. And so the thought, the prevalence of stroke after the primary care doctor office compared to the chiropractic visit was, was the same. So the thought was, it was the accident. It was the actual trauma that they underwent, not, not the technique because the MD didn't even touch the patient. So, um, there's a little bit of that of like confusion on if those are safe or not, but, um, we probably, so we, we do utilize them just because oftentimes patients feel like they're helpful or their past experience has lended to it being helpful for them. Or if there's just a really stuck spot in their neck, sometimes I'll go to it, but it's probably 10% of the time. Um, yeah. And then as far as when you're applying the pressure and using your techniques, what is like the main physiological change that we're looking for? Is it the manipulation of the muscles, the tendons? Is it the tendons on the spine? Are we relieving pressure from the nerves? Is there like a main goal that we're trying to approach from curing this migraine? Yeah. So it's a good question again. I, I would say we're focused on joint mobility. So if, if you think, Hey, let's reduce muscle tension to some extent, you could justify going to see a massage therapist, which again, it's not a bad thing. A lot of my patients do it to manage uh, muscle tension, but the, the sort of uniqueness of what we're doing in our approach is restoring joint mobility. Um, and as a result of that, muscles can be more relaxed. Muscles can function the way they want. Cause if you, if you imagine this muscle trying to rotate this joint and the joints not rotating, the muscle will just keep pulling, pulling, and there's the irritation and tension that develops in the muscle if you free the joint up, the muscle's a lot happier. Um, and then if the muscle's happier, there's more space for that nerve to, uh, feel like it can, it can run through that area. So, uh, muscle tension can impact the nerves. So if you reduce that muscle tension by improving joint mobility, the nerves happier as well. And so our main focus is on joint mobility. Now, clinically we do. So I've had patients where they, see me initially and they don't really seem to move much. Um, and then going through a process, maybe they get like five or 10 degrees of motion. So it's not like we have to get all 45. Um, one of the things clinically that I need to be careful with and other providers as well 
is getting into this sort of patients show up and they say, well, what's my mobility? What's my mobility at? Uh, I want them to tell me how their symptoms are. So we want to see reduction symptoms. And I, if they're symptom free, that's great. Um, I've had people that have very limited mobility, but we're able to get them to a point where they manage their symptoms and they generally feel like their neck is freer. Um, so what's happening there is we're, we're impacting their situation enough where they can now tolerate what's happening. And so the danger in them saying, well, what's my mobility all the time or getting in that mindset is they might be thinking, oh, I'm tight. And then as we talked about uh, your perception of what's happening can change so that they actually sort of manifest pain when it doesn't need to be there. How about I didn't just confuse anyone, but does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Well, how does that, how does that actually look like? Are you like holding a person's neck in a, in a certain point to, to uh, promote that flexibility? Are you putting them in traction? Are you having them like hold, hold their heads facing right? How does that actually look? What, what do they, like, what's the expectation when they come into your office? What are some of the things that you actually manipulate or, or, or do to your patients? Okay. So, um, I have a neck model here. So this is, this is someone lying their back in their, you know, their back of their heads here. This is the upper part of their neck. So what I'll do with my hands is I'll kind of cup the back of their head and then put my finger here. And then I'll, what, what I'll want is for them to nod like this. Okay. So I'm blocking this point, this bone from moving, and then I'm restoring that nodding motion. And it's a very specific pressure that I'm applying over and over again to get that joint to move. Uh, and then I'll come down here and, and we'll work on this rotation. So again, they're lying on their back. I'm putting pressure here. And most of the time, like they're not moving at all. It's like this. And so I have to start out with just applying a little bit more pressure each time I do it. And uh, our sessions are about an hour. So I'll spend about 20, 30 minutes just on those techniques and then move to other areas. Uh, and for those of you that are not watching on YouTube, essentially what I'm doing is um, taking one of my fingers, putting pressure through, let's say C1, the first bone in your neck, and then applying a different sort of pressure through the head so that it's uh, it's reproducing this nodding motion that should naturally be happening in that joint. Now, when it's not happening, uh, I can feel the restriction and then I'm just pushing past that. And I'm repeating that over and over uh, until it feels freed up. Now, that whole process um, usually takes about six to eight weeks and we're seeing people a couple of times a week. Um, and so that's, if, if people listening can picture that, that's what it looks like. Is there anything you could do to kind of prevent this? Let's just say besides like the exercise, is it maybe being hydrated? Uh, is it like, obviously we know stress relief. Is there something, some other things you could optimize in your body to maybe prevent those kind of migraines from happening? Maybe some things that yeah. like your nerves really enjoy some kind of a vitamin, maybe possibly if that even iron something. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, um, we, we sort of stay in the, what is, uh, going to be physically helpful, beneficial. So, but, um, we also, uh, like in general terms, we just want people to be healthy in every aspect of their life. Okay. So, um, that doesn't mean that if you have the greatest diet, cause a lot of people will try like elimination diets or they're, they will have, a, a diet that's in moderation, like nothing really seems to be like red flags as far as what they're consuming, but like foods can be inflammatory enough to decrease your threshold for what you can tolerate. So that is something to consider. We send people to a, a functional medicine doctor. He's an MD, went back to school. He's working on inflammation in all these patients. And uh, one of the things he tells people is to uh, get off gluten and dairy. And um, so that is, that is one approach that can be taken um, 
outside of that, it's, you know, stress levels. How are you managing your stress? Um, that's, you know, emotional stress, uh, but also physical stress. So it's, it's having this balance within your life and just thinking, what does it mean to be healthy in general? And what we're finding is because after COVID, we started working with people virtually and I don't have to apply these manual therapy techniques for you to feel better. There's a lot of, uh, we want to empower people. And a lot of that means that you can make changes on your own, whether it's just incorporating movement, changing your postures throughout the day, considering your neck when you're sleeping, um, considering uh, what you are eating uh, so that you're not uh, ramping up, whether it's with sugars or gluten or whatever it may be. Um, and, and that's not everyone, but that's just something to consider. Um, and as far as like supplements or things like that, I don't necessarily get into that. I do on my podcast, the headache doctor podcast, I interview dietitians, nutritionists. Um, I've got an interview with the functional medicine doc. And, and so they do go into specifics. Um, I'm not necessarily comfortable making those recommendations though, but that those resources are available on the podcast. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Any benefit of like dead hangs or even hanging upside down to um, migraine or, or headache relief, or even any kind of benefits to your spine? Yeah. Um, it's funny. The last podcast I, I was on, they, um, they asked me that same question. Uh, and, uh, my, my response is that I want people to move. And so I generally am not like too thrilled about something that's just, again, just a sedentary or stationary position. Um, traction can be helpful. Traction is usually helpful just kind of in the moment. Um, and if traction works, that's great. You can purchase a Saunders traction unit for like 300 bucks. Uh, but ultimately like you still need to move. And so those, uh, yeah, those, uh, inversion tables are, I guess what I would say if someone really wants to invest in one is if it helps great. Um, but you also need to do this other stuff. Um, and ultimately if you're going to get better, I don't think it's going to be an inversion table. Um, but if you have, have one in your living room and you let, and you and you use it and it helps. That's great. I have, I have no problem with that. But I think long term, like past the moment of you putting your head through traction like that, um, we we just the body wants to move. Yeah, and also, man, and I work in the ICU, and a lot of our day to day activities is dealing with patients that are intubated. A lot of times, we're mm -hmm. turning these patients. Is there any proper ways to maybe hold a neck or turn somebody that's maybe sedated where you could give them extra neck support? Or even when during a pandemic, what we were doing is we were flipping people from their backs to their stomachs. And like, I'm, I'm thinking about it now and it's like, we didn't really like put a lot of emphasis on neck support or actually caring mm. about, about the neck too much in those situations. So was there any like tips you could give to how to properly turn somebody where, where you could support their neck in, in like a like a good place because there's been a handful of times where we activate a patient and they always complain of like neck neck pain they're like they're sore their shoulders are, are sore is there any kind of tips you can offer to kind of prevent that man that's a that's a great question i um i have not thought about that but uh yeah off the top of my head so when someone's intubated they're they're having to cock their head up back right because you got a tube down their throat and so their jaws open their heads cocked back it's almost like going to the dentist and a lot of people after they go to the dentist, they have neck tension. That's because the head in this extended position is not helpful to the neck. Like that suboccipital area is already sort of cocked back throughout the day. And so holding them in that position is, is irritating. That's probably what they're feeling. Um, if you're laying them on their stomach, is their head turned or are you able to have their head in a neutral position? Uh, we call it a swimmer's position. So it's usually where like they're, 
one hand is is, is up, the head is okay. facing either to the left or to the right, and then the other other arm is facing down. Gotcha. So they're they're sort of uh side they're sort of like forty five degrees. Yeah, they're prone essentially. That's only if you know in dire cases, yeah. Gotcha. Um yeah, I mean in that situation, if their head's rotated, um, I mean you probably aren't wanting to transition them too much, but I would just uh get their head out of that get their head or neck out of that position every now and then. Cause even if they're on their back and intubated, if their head's rotated to one side slightly every now and then I just uh, rotate it the other way. Or if it's side bend, side bending can be kind of irritating because it's, it's a, the first motion that gets restricted, um, with this problem. So if they're side bent at all, I just bring them back to neutral. And then every now and then, if you can, I would just sort of like put them in more of a knotted position. If it doesn't impact obviously their airway, um, just because their head cocked back is probably more of that irritation that they're feeling. Um, and then, yeah, I, I would just try to get them as neutral as possible within their neck. The transitions themselves, I wouldn't be too worried about. I mean, um, if you're putting their neck in an extreme rotation, like as they're rotating or something, that might be a problem, but I don't know if the transition itself would be as big of a deal as opposed to like just the static position they're in. Okay. And I know you, your main focus is, is, is pain, but I'm curious for all the people that snore out there. Has anybody ever said that after you kind of strengthen their, their neck or adjust them to like a more of a proper position, has that ever relieved their, their snoring? Just random question. Um, yeah, sleep can improve. Um, uh, speaking to snoring itself, I mean, I may have a patient or two that's mentioned that, but I've definitely had people say that their, their sleep has improved. And I think I can attribute that to just the level of stress, uh, through their neck and shoulders when they're going to bed. Oftentimes it's just, there's a level of discomfort that they can't get out of. And so when we reduce that, they're able to sleep better. Um, outside of that snoring, uh, we do, we do check for that. It's, it's, if someone's snoring, if they're not able to breathe at night and, uh, their teeth are worn down and they have jaw pain, likely what's happening is they have a form of sleep apnea. They're thrusting their jaw forward, trying to open their airway and uh, they can't breathe through their nose. And so we, we send people off to a provider that can, uh, it, we, we're not a big fan of CPAPs, but there's a, there's more of a holistic way of like expanding. I mean, it could be surgical, but expanding the airway so that you can actually breathe through your nose. Um, and uh, we, we want people to breathe at night. And if you're snoring, that can indicate that uh, there's, there's a problem uh, with sleep. And especially if you get headaches when you wake up. Sounds like a sleep study waiting to happen. Write out a script for that. Yeah. Uh, one, one last question that we'd like to ask all of our guests. So if you had the opportunity to have a cup of, cup of coffee with anybody one last time, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I kind of have, I'll say two. So I'm a, I'm a Christian and I, uh, a pastor out in California by the name of John MacArthur's been a big influence. I, um, haven't had the chance to have a cup of coffee with him, but, um, I've, uh, interacted like in his circles a few times and his preaching has been pretty impactful. I'm also a soccer fan. And so my, uh, if I had to sit down with one player, it would probably be Kevin De Bruyne, who plays for Manchester city. Um, and, uh, I, I like Manchester city and he just seems like a guy that I'd, uh, be uh, interested to chat with. So I'm, I'm I can a, have two, there they are. I'm a Liverpool fan. So. You could, you could oh, okay. do whatever. 
Liverpool, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Liverpool's going to come back, but they were they were looking pretty threatening there the past couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully they were. They were. You know, it's it's like that. You know, it's it's sports. You're really good a couple years in a row, and then things kind of wind down a little bit. Right. Gotta make a few trades. Gotta improve on on something. It's just athletics, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And where can people find you if they want to learn more information about neck and head pain? Yeah. So on social media under in, in Instagram, I'm, uh, I'm at Novera headache center. Um, so Novera is like new era N O V E R A. And then on uh TikTok, I'm at the headache doctor. Um, and, uh, our website is Novera headache com. We, um, we work with people in person, obviously. And then, uh, we do have, uh, virtual options. And, uh, if you don't want to reach out to us at all, you can, you can purchase the headache and migraine masterclass, which goes into more detail, provide some of those specific stretches that you should be doing at home. And, uh, what we do is when I'm on podcasts, we, we offer, uh, the listeners a promo code. So 10% off and the promo code for you guys will be nurses. Um, if, if someone's interested in that, but we'd, we'd love for you to reach out. If you, like I said, if you have any sort of head or facial pain that you're still dealing with, um, there's a good chance we can help you. So go to our website or just follow us on our social media channels. The The most helpful thing though, which I almost forgot to mention is the headache doctor podcast. Um, so wherever, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, yeah, subscribe to the headache doctor podcast. And, um, we do interviews. I, I talk a lot in detail about headaches and migraines and, um, a lot of people really find that to be helpful. Awesome. I want to thank you one more time, Dr. Jono. Thank you for all your insight, your knowledge about migraines, headaches, you offer a lot of great tips for people that do suffer for migraines and headaches. I feel like we basically hit the nail on headaches and, and migraines. I feel like we answer a lot of good questions, provide a lot of value. Thank you so much and God bless. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.